I'm Dan Walters. And I'm Anthony Peters. This is the No Ideas Podcast. Welcome back to the second of our two special USA uh, podcast recordings. Yeah, today's episode is with Aaron Draplin. Um, and he runs a, an amazing design studio out of Portland. And uh, I, can't, I just can't even express no. how wild this, this, this was. Like we're, we d- we're still like winding down from it, I think. It's, it's the morning <laughs> after. Um, we mentioned in the, in the previous preamble for Lisa Congdon, we're currently sat in our Airbnb in, in the Portland suburbs. Um, it's the day after we've recorded both um, interviews. Before Ant flies home. Before I, yeah, and, and we are... Um, Today, this is the Aaron Draplin interview you're about to hear. But we we went over to his studio and we just weren't ready for. No, we didn't. <laughs> no, nothing can prepare you for me. We were. Aaron we, Lisa told us that we'd have a fun time, um, and we left there. Went and found some lunch. We had popped into a little junk shop on the way, didn't we? He'd given that, us some advice on junk in yeah, places as well. So we found on just near his house there was this one that we'd kind of popped into. We had like half an hour to spare. Um, so we went in there, found some a few cool things. Got we? super excited about American junk. It's yeah. so good. Yeah. Like when you're just used to English antique shops, just yeah. to find amazing letters or I don't know. It was it was really it was wonderful. great, wasn't it? Uh, and then we headed round the corner to his place, and the fun started. <laughs> oh, um, straight in the door, um, Aaron says, "Hey, what does he say? It's the." Let me have a look at you. Grabbed you. He grabbed my face, and it was just like looked me clean in the eye, just tried to size me up. You're from England. Let me have a look at you. What did he call us? The podcast. The children of the podcast. Children of the podcast. <laughs> it was like so good, and then showed us around, showed us all of his stuff. Yeah, totally. I showed mean, us around his studio and his his kind of house, his garden. Like just yeah, it was incredible. So we got the kit together. He showed us all of his records, like some of his junk. Yeah, and then we sat down to record, and just I still am pinching myself. Yeah, it was. There's some stuff that you guys will hear, but you won't be able to see. We did take some photos during the record this time because there was a few moments that were visual that needed to be documented. It's well worth going on our site and having a look at the page specific to this. There was a moment towards the end when answering our quick fire questions when. Aaron brought out some objects from the early 80s that were just mind-blowingly We were like on beautiful. a ride with him at that point, weren't we? Um, we were being dragged along. When you're listening, you're just on the ride. I, yeah. I doubt that you'll want to get off. It was an adventure, wasn't it? And uh, Yeah, so we <laughs> hope that you guys are as in love with this episode as we are. Yeah. So we, talk, we talked about everything from his childhood, his, yep. his dad, his relationship with his family, um, his work ethic, which was so inspiring to hear him talk about that. And his like kind of philosophy about design. He's totally, he hates the term blue collar, but he believes in function over everything yeah. else. And some of the moments when he was just talking about design or logos or the function of these things wasn't nuts and bolts kind of technical talk. He's properly yeah, passionate. Ta- taking like rules from design from the past and things like that and using it now. Is just, yeah, it's amazing to see. So, yeah, we'll let you get on and listen to the show and we really hope that you enjoy this as much as we enjoyed making it definitely enjoy the show
You might find today's guest digging through junk shops looking for old matchbooks, pin badges and baseball caps, or you may find him lecturing at universities across America. He's a designer whose style is instantly recognisable, bold, purposeful logos for companies of all sizes, and his merch is to die for. He has recently had Mark Maron in this very room, arguably one of America's greatest podcasters, but today he'll have to make do with us. Welcome to the show, Aaron James Draplin. We're excited to have you on. Thanks, you guys. Thanks for coming back here into the backyard. Nice to see you. Nice to meet you. And uh, all right, let's do it. Yeah. This has been amazing already, and we've not even pressed record. (laughs) So uh, the studio here is incredible, and just seeing the stuff that I only ever see on Instagram is... Well, yeah. It's it's, it's really something. Well, I moved to my backyard, and um, I mean, it's as simple as that. And, and, um, you know, there's really no varnish. You know, this is it, but, um, you know, you got to keep a little mystery... You know, because you don't want to freak people out. But you know, just the other day was the first time, and there's really no strategy. But when Marin was here, you know, sitting behind you, strumming around my guitar and you know, just noodling a little bit, that's the first time I've even showed it back here. I didn't even think about it because I just, I just haven't even. I do other things, you know. But I had a lot of people. Oh, that's where you sit, because they've seen <laughs> the other cockpit from Skillshare yeah. and interviews and other bullshit. I mean, I come in, I stand out of my seat and. <laughs> they take a picture of me, you know what I mean, for like some article. It's I don't go to a set. It's that is the set. So um, I really need to do something where I kind of say, "Hey, this is what it looks like. These are the machines I'm using, and here's the books I grab from." Because um, I love when a rock and roller or, or something that I'm into shows you that kind of stuff. And usually it's kind of just in the periphery. You know, they take a picture of someone, you know, dropping off the food, and you get to see what the chords and the things look like just off to the side um but you know there's some people that are really good about sharing that stuff and I, I need to be maybe a little better but uh okay so can you uh tell us a little bit about your family and uh when growing up in michigan yeah yeah in michigan um well i have two little sisters and there was three of us so my dad used to say one of each he has three kids one of each that was a <laughs> family joke <laughs> but um you know um my mom still lives there um, we lost my dad, you know, five, six years ago. You probably see yeah. me reference that somewhere. Yeah. By the way, we're saving a lot on groceries, so I'm not going to go into that asshole. He, he's, he's as dead as it gets. We're saving a lot on groceries. <laughs> I miss you, Dad, of course. But my mom's back there, and I bring her out here an awful lot. I have a sister who lives in um, Ann Arbor, Michigan, um, which is, you know, down towards Detroit. And then I have a little sister, who, my littlest sister, who lives um, out here, you know, near me, seven miles away, and has her son, Oliver and my almost brother-in-law Jacob we'll see them hopefully later tonight um but you know uh yeah I have sisters you know growing up in a small little tiny little town um you're limited you know you're first of all you're in way you know well 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 up into northern Michigan which is you know two three hundred miles away from Detroit and then 300 miles or so away from um, Chicago. And those are big cities. But for Detroit for us, that was where our family was from. So we, would, we were down there, you know, once every couple months. And that was like a treat for us, you know. But um, I was raised in a small, small town until I was about, you know, 12. Moved to Traverse City, Michigan. Mm-hmm. That's where my mom's been ever since. Mom is still there. And we'll be home in 10 days. And I'll go back and see her for a week, hang out and work and help her, whatever she needs help with, you know, kind of getting the place ready for the fall. Um, But that's home, northern Michigan. And, you know, obviously home is here, but I'm from Michigan. But, you know, I have to be really, um, you know, 
honest, like I couldn't wait to get the hell out of there really? because it was a different kind of Michigan yeah. when I was a kid. You know, when you're 19, you got to go. There's nothing there for you. But I will say, Traverse City, Michigan, now you go back there, it's beautiful. Oh, really? It's beautiful. I mean, there's people coming in from all, We're just on the map. We have Michael Moore. Mm. And Michael Moore helped make us a little bit more of a democratic kind of deal. Yeah. So, you know, just for the record, I am a, you know, it, you know I don't want to say all the way left, but I, I lean into things like human rights, yeah. uh, women's rights, yeah. and, you know, equal rights and other things like, you know, just, you know provocative things like that. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> you know, so up there, it's like, well, you, you kind of got that beat out of you sometimes. Um, but it's cool to be that now up there and, and like it fucking ought to be. And our town is like this, like you can get like nice coffees and shit. Yeah. There. And there's film festivals, like real film festivals yeah. with awesome 70 millimeter print runs of like Kubrick so-and-so, yeah. like Amazing. stuff that you, we can't get in line for yeah. here. It's <laughs> happening in my town. So I'm conflicted because I live, I went somewhere where I could get all the stuff I wanted. And now you can kind of get, there's a nice record store there. So, it's a weird so you thing. Li- you live um, Great Lake first, is that right? For a yeah. little while, is that beautiful there? Is it beautiful but yeah, quiet? Yeah, Michigan uh, Lake Michigan is beautiful. Um, uh, it's an ocean for us. I've flown over it before. It's yeah, it's big. No, it's a couple hundred miles. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's 150 miles at one of its you know widths or something. But to go over in a plane, you know, it's 25 minutes or something. Yeah. 20 minutes, 15 <laughs> minutes. But you know, my dad, we used to go out to this, these sand dunes. Now, when you go up to northern Michigan, and I'm going to pull out my little map here. So here's Detroit, yep. here's Chicago. You can't yep. see this on the radio, you people. But <laughs> go look on the map. It's a hand. And that little pinky, that little pinky, um, that's where we're from. So that Lake Michigan right there, you go out to some of those big dunes and bluffs and overlooks. It is the straightest horizon you ever saw, like an ocean, you know, as far as you can see. My dad used to fuck with me and say, hey, Aaron, someday you play your cards right. Someday you're gonna to get to Green Bay, Wisconsin, across this expanse of. <laughs> I was like, I've been to Green Bay, fucking spent a week there one night in Green Bay, Wisconsin. But uh, you know, that's, these are the jokes. You know, like if you go to the ocean here and you go, wow, you can go all the way to fucking Tokyo from yeah, here. Yeah, this is my but, first time in the Pacific. But there, coast. it was like, wow, you can go to Manitowoc, Wisconsin. <laughs> you know, these are like shitty regional jokes. But uh, he sounded like um, he was absolutely hilarious. He was great, man. My dad was funny as shit and. You know, my, my sister and I were just talking the other night, um, the, my, my middle sister, who is, I'm 45, she's 43, and, you know, of course everyone says it's about their parents, but my dad was too fucking big to die. He was just such a funny guy, and people loved my dad. My dad didn't have enemies. He, you know, he would donate and play Santa Claus to help kids. Donate his time for this shit. And... I'll just say it. Some dads, I'm trying to be respectful here, but some dads are just, they work hard and they don't, they just want to have their dinner and, you know, watch some tube and go to bed. I get it, man. I knew some of those dads. They would be kind of pissed off that, like, you know, we parked in the driveway or something, you know, things like that. Like, I had a really cool dad, and it's it's a it's just a big goddamn loss. He wasn't really, like, super sick or anything like that. And it's just a weird thing because now you know, when this happened, you know, just like I would approach making a logo, I try to do it creatively. I'm not going to wail and go, no, he's fucking dead. That's it. So I better wrap my head around what that means. And we're okay. So people have to go and get help and grieve and things. I had I have my rough days. But I will say five years later, it's just a little too fucking permanent for my liking. That's just it. 
So I have these weird things that have come out of this. And I don't know if this is getting a little too out nice. there for you guys. But I don't step on bugs anymore. I, uh, Me neither, yeah. A I spider. A spider. I shoot the little son of a bitches. I mean, what happens <laughs> when 350 pounds of American beef goes in that spider? Dead. But does a little spider have a soul? You know, and that's what I think about now. Because yeah. my dad, I'll just say it, when he was there in the ambulance and shit and we're getting off the plane, he's a big bug. Now, I know that's kind of harsh sounding, but it was the truth. Mm. And I felt his uh, heat go out of his hands, right? I felt his heat go. What is that? energy it's life and it's things and that shit's precious and it's just this weird fucking thing where it's like you know like now after this goddamn election i mean it sounds like it's a traumatic well it was a fucking traumatic thing but now two and a half years into this thing like i like puppies and i like babies <laughs> purity things that are pure things that are unfucked with you know and, and 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 you know so you know to go back to this whole thing with my dad like you know he was he just was he was just a funny, larger-than-life, like, ready-for-anything kind of guy, you know, and and uh, oh. just a fucking blast. <laughs> he was just fun. He always, where are you guys from? You know, the U.K.? Whoa, I went there. You know, what do you want to drink? You want a sandwich? Right, like, he? that was my dad. Accommodating and awesome and warm and um, um, and I, I, I tell these anecdotes all the time now because I, I just I miss the shit out of him, of course. But this was my dad. One year we were in Traverse City, Michigan, and you know, there's a hundred thousand people there now or something. And ten years ago, maybe there was seventy thousand people or something. But their annual thing downtown, which is the winter season, they're going to bring in. My dad played the Santa Claus role. They brought him in on a fucking fire truck. They bring him in on the fire truck, and there's sirens, and people are screaming, and there's a couple thousand people in this downtown Traverse City, Michigan. There's not like one block over, there's another Santa. My dad's playing the Santa Claus for this. (laughs) So it's a cool thing. So I got off the plane, and you know he was with the, I don't know, the Chamber of Commerce people and the mayor, and they're doing all their stuff and getting ready. And I got off the plane like an hour before. My mom grabs me. We go downtown, and we're in the mix with all the people, and we're on the mix, and here comes the fucking siren, and it's coming down. He's on top of the siren. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's got... You know, and I hear him, ho, 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 and all this shit. You know, the mic- over the phone, okay, microphones. You know, and it's blaring, and here he comes, and the thing stops in the town square, and he gets down from the thing, and he's, I see him, oh, shit, there you go, just there. And we're kind of by this stage, and he's walking up, and now he's doing the, he's got the mic, and it's some kind of, like, radio mic, so he's going, ho, 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 it's blaring. And, then, and he puts the mic down, as he gets up to me, I haven't seen him in, like, six weeks, and he says, more and more, you look like the UPS guy. <laughs> ho, ho, ho! And right back into it. And I go, you know, that's my dad. Like, in the moment of his moments, he still had the either comical, I don't know how to say it, creativity to fuck with me in a way I'd never forget. <laughs> and it was never to hurt anyone. It was perfect and poetic because that's my dad because listen later on that night when we're rubbing each other's backs and we're you know two 800 pound gorillas sitting there (laughs) holding hands that was my dad all the way up until he died i mean whatever so i'm you know it's it's a big loss but it's like you know what five years later it's like fuck man i'm real gentle with bugs i'm real gentle with people who are going through something i understand that we're fragile and when i felt his life go 
70 years of kicking fucking northern Michigan's ass, it goes like that. And I just have a hard time now with certitude, which people say things like, well, you'll see him again. Fairy tale. I listened last night to one of your, you know, Dawkins. <laughs> oh, yeah. Because <laughs> it's about fact and reason. Yeah. And, you know, empirical, you know, I'm, I don't want to give away that I'm not just a gorilla looking for thick lines. But I found it very inspiring. Ag- agnosticism versus, mm-hmm. you know, uh, uh, atheism. And, 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 and then what? Against, you know, religious fervor? Well, fuck, man. You know where I'm going to go. I'm going to probably err on the side of, like, you can't really prove it. And we're just going off of fairy tales. But, you know, it's just an interesting thing because, you know, for someone to come up to me now and say, when I'm down south, oh, you're going to see him. Bullshit, man. So whatever. I have wonderful memories of him, but I'm kind of pissed because I want like a I want to I want to I want to I want a fairy tale to be like oh, I'm gonna see him when I die. Maybe I will, but I don't know. If you get to pick, that's beautiful. I mean, how is anyone mm. else? How is it any different that people are just kind of like, well, because I was raised Catholic. What were you guys raised as? We were. It's just a general down the line Christianity. Yeah. Okay, I know, I know. I know. Right, yeah. right. Well, my part of Michigan. Oh, you go one thing over, and it could have been some Amish, or mm. it could have been some gnarly, you know, born again, or whatever. <clears throat> or you know, uh, 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 like the Methodists always had the best Christmas deals. <laughs> I don't know what that means, but they had the best Christmas parties. Uh, the Methodists. But um, yeah, we raised Catholic. So I, I, you know. Today, the thing was to collapse on us. I think I'd go to Catholic heaven, and that's only because that's all—that's what I was programmed, right? And my coming to Portland and meeting awesome people and seeing all the different lifestyles and possibilities and weirdnesses—what uh, an education! Because it's opened my fucking mind to say, "Wow, we have no idea," and that's probably a little better. Have a little respect for that. Than, yeah, than, than I mean, playing I, some I, game mm. of like, you know, fucking don't walk under ladders. That's fairy tale. You know, that's, this is superstition. Yeah. Also, yeah, I'm a little bit superstitious. I mean, I'm <laughs> all of us. not religious, yeah. but I'm I'm spiritual in a way. Sure. Like, my son, he's 11. He's it's obsessed bleak with otherwise. Yeah. It's bleak. But we talk about star well, stuff. We're all star stuff. We're all well, an, an energy that's been around since the well, beginning I mean, of the universe. First of all, he's, he's got a question. He's this yeah. little person, and yeah. he's scared, and that's your job to. I was nine years old. You know what I was scared of when I was nine? You guys were about six. I was scared of MX missiles. Do you even remember this? MX missiles were nuclear warheads. Okay, yeah. And this was on the stuff. Now, what you come to find out, and my mom and her wisdom of being 74 years old, you know, my wonderful mom, Lauren Draplin, like, what what would we have on the news right now? Let's see. Um, um, I don't know. These border, border problems yep. or something. Well, the MX thing was a news blurb, and however we were, you know, getting it on the news back in 80. You know, two or something. It came and it went. It came and it went, and it really stuck with me um, because then you know I had these larger questions: How can humanity build a thing that kills all of humanity? Mm-hmm. That doesn't work. You know, I liked Legos and shit yeah. at the time. You know what I mean? So I would, you know, it used to fuck with me. I didn't, I didn't. You know, it's not like my, we didn't really have resources to put me in some in front of some therapist. I just kind of like you know, you learn to live with that sort of either fear. I remember when I went to Alaska in like 1996. I was uh, 22 years old, 23 years old, and I got on a, uh, I got on an elevator. When there's a Russian family, you know, I don't know what the fuck they're saying, you know, but they were Russians, and I was trained that they're bad. That's and the I was height so of the fucking embarrassed. So I was so yeah. embarrassed. I was just like, 
They're people wearing tourist shirts that say Anchorage, Alaska, yes. just like anybody else. <laughs> yeah, you know what I mean? Absolutely. And that was like a great experience for me because we realized they're just people, you know, and uh, we got to get past all these borders. Absolutely. And, shit, you know? and, and, so, and pointing out difference, we should be talk, talking about how we're all the same rather than how different we are. It is all the same. You know, people need soothing. Your little 11 year old, what's his name? He's Elliot. Nice. That's a, <laughs> that's a cool name. So, little Elliot, you know. He needs that. That's your job. And you don't have the answer, but you do your yeah. best. And he's got you. And you guys are tight as, you know, tighter than a fiddle string, which is like, you know, that's a little teeny <laughs> yeah. one. I mean, tight as shit. That son of a bitch, you pluck it, it's tight. You guys, you know, you guys have this great thing, and it's like, that's awesome, man. So, um, um, What childhood adventures did you have? Like, you, you mentioned in the book, there's a list of, like, drawing, riding bikes, Hot Wheels, Saturday morning cartoons. Yeah. Like this is all the stuff I did as well. But sure. are there particular like memories that you have that you're super fond of of, of growing up in yeah, Michigan? Uh, yeah, I mean, you know, we used to go wood cutting with um, this family down the street. It was my best buddy's name is Ron Mortensen. Ronnie Mortensen is what I called him when I was a kid, but now he's Ron Mortensen. He's, he's a funeral <laughs> director and he's a dad with a bunch of beautiful kids and a cool family and the whole bit. But um, I grew up with this kid. You know, down the street, and his dad, Gary Mortensen, we'd all go uh, cutting wood. You know, because we had, we had we had wood stoves in our homes, and you had to cut the tree down, and then he had to cut it into little pieces, and he had to go split it a day later or something. But we would go out there, and I remember they would let us each get five swear words to use. <laughs> and when you're ten years old, you know, one kid like one of our buddies, you know, he just couldn't fuck he just he just rattle off some you know, some string of obscenities because he just couldn't handle it. He yeah. couldn't handle that kind of, you know that kind of uh, freedom or something. And uh, you know, then my buddy Ron would like say something like an hour later and it was just the wrong timing. You know, they just, they, we could just do whatever we wanted, but I remember, you know, you know, going as you know what it was it looked like endor to me amazing you know, it looked yeah. like you know oh. in the woods there's ferns and it's just michigan woods oh. sure but i remember you know um like uh, let's see fond memories um andy montgomery taking a shit someone putting on a stick and flinging <laughs> it and like someone getting hit with the shit there's there's a fun memory for you but i think you know this idea of like exploration and being out there and sure michigan woods we were in that stuff yeah. or incredible memories in the winter with snowbanks and building snow forts and sledding and going snowmobiling and being out in nature kicking ass um, as kids, you know, and it was like um, we grew up in that. We grew up in that. You know, uh, the fall, you know, uh, piles of leaves, I can still smell that, yeah. what it smelled like, and the, the burning of the leaves, my dad would burn the leaves, you know, um, and cider and shit, you know, I don't know, it's like uh, the, it, uh, those colors, like people always say to me, why do you love orange so much? And it's like, man, I love fall. That's my favorite Me thing too. in the world. That's my favorite season. Well, it's the best. And um, there's something about orange leaves and just that sort of like that crispness. And I just wish all year could be like that. I really need to be a little bit better how I um, capture those memories because things come to me in little blinks. And I'm like, oh, wait, we used to do this. Why don't I have that written down? I don't know when I would read it, but I want to kind of capture it. So one of the files I have on my desktop is just history. And what it is, I, well, my mom, my mom is still alive and kicking, at least the last time I checked. You know, I talked to her this morning. Uh, I'm going to hit her hard when I go home. And I'm going to say, what was it like when I was six? And I'll transcribe Amazing. it. And, you know, when I got tested for diabetes, oh, yeah. 
They'd poke your finger. It took like seven people to hold me down. I was seven or eight years old. A little bowl, you know, and a little beard, you know. But, but, uh, <laughs> but, but I was scared. I was afraid. I, I don't. I didn't. I don't remember that. Well, I have a fear of needles. All these years later, of course, I you pass know. Out still. Do you really? Yeah, it's not good. Wow. So, um, <laughs> yeah. So that I mean, that's the thing. It's like I, I for and, and why that is coming up. I know this isn't really graphic design, but. No one knows what my great-grandfather's name is. No wow, one knows. Okay. Even just great-grandfather. Now, yes, you can go do these genealogical things. And there's one woman that found a bunch of names. and But no one knows. You go to my living uncles. And they're just like, I don't know. You know, I remember, remember you know, my grandpa, he was mean. So we stayed away from him. I can't remember his name half the time. That's just kind of weird to yeah. me. Now, selfishly, within my own little sphere... I have this living history, my mom, and we sit and bullshit, and I want her to tell me these stories. So, you know, before my dad passed, I got about, didn't get enough, but I got about 10 little, this is back when iPhones were around, and I just kind of say, how'd you meet mom? Whip it into his face, and he'd tell me. You know, it was awesome. So I have those, and those are gold. I listen Amazing. to them, and I get a couple tears going, you know, but, you know, and, uh, you know, because I, I have to say, all these years, I'm kind of forgetting what his voice sounds like, which oh, is man. weird. Yeah. So sucks. Okay, yeah. ask me something light. What's my favorite Pantone? Orange Twenty One. All right. Okay. Okay. Next question. Okay. We're going to stick with the uh, the memory theme. What was okay. your earliest creative memory? Oh, when wow. you were a kid. Oh yeah. Um, well, let me see here. I mean, it's art projects in school. You know, you're like eight and nine, like making science fairs, mm. science fair stuff, and lettering on the science. You know, like letting on your three panels for your science project or whatever and enjoying that. My dad was a woodworker and he had a little desk built for me. And he had his big desk, you know, and I'd sit at my little desk <laughs> and I'd make little things and stuff. And he'd be at his desk doing projects and we'd, you know, spend quality time together, you know. And, uh, you know, I remember making models, you know, and him coming over. Oh, you got to go slow. Can't paint everything. I let this dry and go. You know, he's teaching you the basics of just how to well build a model or how to use your time in a creative way. But that goes all the way back, you know. And where that when I got a skateboard, then you start applying that stuff to making zines, yeah, or making your own graphics, and then collecting records and seeing and reading notes, and that's then of how, course getting a I guitar records, and you start to yeah. play some songs and. Learn a song and forget a song, and um, you know, making a zine with your friends, which just is such an awesome t- capsule of what was going on. I did a couple in high school. Those yeah. are in the book, aren't they? Yeah. yeah. So, like, uh, yeah. is there anywhere online that people can see those? No, but I should just scan all that oh, shit. They're in amazing. Because it's just so, it's like so um, primitive, and the writing is just weird, calm people out and shit, just like kind of like stuff that you would not do now <laughs> at forty-five years old. <laughs> But you, when you were 15 or 17 or 19, who gives a shit? You're just going for it. So we always had something. You know, mm. I guess it's the, if I go all the way back, I remember, you know, awesome colored pencils and, um, you know, drawing with my cousins. You know, we'd get a big piece of paper and we would draw these little, like, wars. That's all just sort of like if you were like, you know, like, an, like ants and you cut the little thing and you can see the little ant yeah. mm. channels and little tunnels and little places and stuff, eggs and shit. It's exactly that kind of a drawing. So we would have little ladders going to this thing and little things coming in nice. and water and <laughs> pools and places to eat and stuff. And I, you know, I do that with Oliver now, who is, you know, who is nine years old. And I watch him in the same sort of, that's my, my nephew, um, his you know, sort of fascination. We're waiting for dinner to show up, you know, and he's restless because he, 
either he fucked up or something at school and he, he has no screen time and he can't be playing yeah. on the thing waiting. So we have to like go, oh, we're going old school. We're going to turn the, the little mat over and I got a thing called a pencil. This is me. <laughs> we're going to draw and we're going to use our brain, you know, whatever. And well, it's pretty cool. He, he knows how to draw. Yeah. You know, because Kids still love drawing. Uh, they well, really do. I mean, my kids have too much screen time, but they still love your course. kids. My kids don't have any screen time. We draw all the time. Really? In restaurants and stuff. Yeah, we... So wait, what's the policy then? Just You just don't want them on the stuff? They watch, they watch TV. Sure. But they don't have iPads. They're a little bit younger at the moment. Yeah, they're like seven, minor, seven at the moment. Yeah, and mine are 11 and 13. So they're well, there's, I mean, it's... first of all, you're going to be at, at 13. There's societal pressures too. Like if you don't mm. have a phone, you're yeah, going to get yeah. fucked Absolutely. with, you know, a little bit of that. Yeah, I mean, it's just an interesting thing because, well, it's too easy to say, well, we just didn't have that when we were kids. Well, we didn't, but we did have video games. And I remember those mm. getting to be kind of weird and, yeah. and sweaty and like, you know, one kid who had everything, every kid's over there and you're waiting in line <laughs> and it turns into this problem. I mean, that's just, that's just as old as, you know, if you go back to, I don't know, you know, go back to someone who was, you know, 1886, one kid's got the wheel with the stick and he's, he's running with the wheel and the stick. That one kid had it. Everyone else was watching, you know. The parents are like, you're not getting one of those. You'll spend too much time with the well, wheel. Here's a little stick. family humor for you guys. You guys are a real fun bunch, you two from the UK. Here's a little family humor. Whenever we would, remember when kids go, I'm bored. Oliver will say, I'm bored because he just get to, you know, yeah. he gets, doesn't get to numb himself with whatever you know app. My dad used to say when we'd say, I'm bored in the car. He go, Who wants to play Switch? I said, Play Switch. He goes, Yeah. You put one finger in your mouth and one finger in your asshole, and you switch. <laughs> So then you you hear that the first time, and then you know here I am, forty years old. What are you doing? I'm just taking a break. You bored? No. You bored? No. You gonna play Switch? <laughs> <laughs> My son will love that. Yeah, go. He's in. Next time when he's having a hard go, you go. Hey, you want you want to play a game? Play Switch. You, know, you tell him that. So that's a Draplin family staple right there. Were you? Uh, what were you like at school? You were a little rascal at school. No, I was pretty good. Yeah. I mean, I had a good mom and dad, and there wasn't any big honking need to uh, defy them or freak out or anything. Um, um, we had a lot of liberties in my little small town, you know. So we weren't really necessarily latchkey kids. I went home, my mom was there, was you know, kid. and um, we weren't really. You know, my dad was gone a lot because he was working down in Detroit for a week and stay with my grandmother down there, and then he'd come on back. And I think that might have been the sort of like uh, the key to my mom and dad being able to handle each other because my mom would have a break from him, and then we raise us, and then we, my dad would come home and be wild and fun, and you know, mom was kind of the disciplinarian, you know, but. Um, when we were skateboarders and I was 15 years old, there were kids that just didn't give a fuck. And let's just say we went to some amusement park. I remember going to this one amusement park. And there are fences there that are about four foot tall, just little ones. And they just walk right up. They're over the fence. Now, this is in the winter. So these little amusement parks have little bowls and stuff. You can go skate them. So it's late fall. Well, the amusement park's been closed for a couple months. It's all dry. And here's these transitions. You can go skate. Well, your wheels leave little marks on everything. And straight up, when you walk up to that fence, there's a sign that says, no trespassing. There's two kinds of kids, man. There was me who was like, I'm fucking not jumping that fence. I'm not going to... I don't like looking over my shoulder. And I don't like being the kid who has to run when the shit hits the fan. And then my buddy, you know, I don't Eric King, fucking right over the fence, doesn't give a shit, just going for it, living in the moment. And there's lessons for both. But I was definitely the kind of like kid who was a little more cautious. Me too. You know, Would you say I, I am? Yeah. 
I'm the one that's always like, oh, should we be doing this? Or, or is it respectful to these that are, person's These property? are archetypes. Or, yeah. Some people yeah, don't give a fuck. Yeah, I think we both are. And then we've got a friend called James who definitely is straight over the <laughs> Okay, so, you know? I mean, so... Definitely, <laughs> well, 100%. You know, the spice of life is to have a James around, you know, to, to make you appreciate the, you know, going a little apeshit. Because I had a couple yeah. moments too. But I also had a couple moments when we got caught. And it is not fun running right. from a cop. You know, it sucks. And, I, you know, I had friends who, like... Yeah, I remember you know high school, um, kids were skipping class all the time. Like I, I did it one time and I got caught and it got back to my mom and dad and they were like, "Listen, if you're gonna go, just tell us you're gonna go, but don't do it like you're, there's nuns and shit. Your Catholic school watching for this. Don't give them in the economy of them looking for you to leave. Yeah, you're just feeding it. Okay, yeah, you're right. If you want to get out of there, we'll come and get you. You know this kind of shit. It's like we had a neat dialogue, so I didn't have this need to go. But I also had a fear of like, I don't want to disappoint them and I don't want yeah. to dis- get in trouble. Because I saw kids who had their shit taken away from them because they were, you know, they were, they were bending the rules a little too much. But I remember one time, I'm in high school and I'm sitting in my sixth hour class. So six hours, six hour class, we we're almost done, we're 40 minutes to go or something. <laughs> and then there's a bump, bump, bump at the door and the door creaks open and it's my buddy Bry standing there and he's got this little piece of paper and he says, he says, um, I have a note from the office for an Aaron... Draplin, and the way he said it, you know, it's like the guy goes, Aaron Draplin, you got to get up, you got to go to the office, get grab your bag, cause you know. So I get up and I get to the. There's nothing on the piece of paper. I get to the door and Bry shows me the piece of paper as I'm walking out, and he's like, "Want to go skate? Want to go skate?" <laughs> so he wasn't even in the school. I was a senior, and he's a you know he's like out of school. He came in, got found any piece of paper, comes to the door, asks for my name. Amazing. Like that is it's punk rock, yeah. Of, you know, and I have to say I'm still like uneasy about that, you know, because I was like, "Fuck, man, just wait 30 minutes and I'll be done." But it was pretty cool, you know. Like that's like it was cool to have, you know, a complete incorrigible like you know my buddy Bry in my life, and actually he wasn't. He was just a really creative guy. Our sponsor is Dot to Dot Printing, a gicle and art printer that both Dan and myself use to do all of our art prints. Amazing quality, great paper stocks and swift delivery. They also offer automatic integration with online shop platforms including Etsy, Shopify and WooCommerce and can fulfill your orders from the moment they're ordered until the moment they get delivered to your happy customer. Go to dot2dotprinting.co.uk and quote the code NOIDEAS, you get 10% off your first order. Now, back to the show. Who inspired you to pursue a career in in design? I think it was the fear of not having a good job, honestly, right out of high school. Because my mom and dad, we didn't have a ton, but we weren't necessarily poor. But we had everything we needed, and we had a mom and dad. There's a wealth just inside that. But I couldn't get whatever I wanted. No way. That's why I got a job when I was 13 years old. I couldn't, you know, we didn't go on big trips, but we went on one trip a year. It might be down to Florida or to go see someone in Detroit or go to Chicago or something. You know, it was Mm. something cool. I was a good worker in high school. I had community through that, my buddies. We worked at this pizza place. I never missed any time there because I had to earn that money. When I got out of there, the, the, the first hard lesson was like, I don't get to be with my buddies. I'm with a bunch of these fucking hillbilly guys 
you know, kind of like, you know, backwoods Michigan guys trimming trees, but it was good money, you know, and you, well, you learn how to take that thing on. And it just, you know, when we all came back to school at our community college, that's when we started to like kind of pine to go out west. Okay. And we were going to go out to where it was a literal opening of your horizon where you're like, we are in the American West going into the frontier. Granted, it's a bunch of Taco Bells and bullshits like anywhere else. <laughs> but you're 19, in 1993, I was 19 years old, and I had that sense of adventure. What was it that drew you out there? Well, yeah, well, there, was, there were waves of kids that kind of went. And, um, you know, in the doing, the, the sort of, uh, I've, been, I've been interested in, like, trying to, like, get the story of this stuff down. Now, somewhere in here, I have all my journals. I need to transcribe that shit because I kept track of all the stuff mm. what it was like to move. But I need, there's holes to be filled, which is like, wait, who was the first wave? Someone write down all those names. Cool, cool, cool. Who was the second wave? Well, I was part of that wave. Okay. Mm. So what it was, was out of high school, we were skateboarders and snowboarders. And there were these groups of guys that were five years older than us. So if I'm class of 91, they might have been class of 87 or something. Well, by the time 87 gets to go is 89. So we're now, they're moving out west as, well, instead of uh, being 18-year-olds, out of, out of high school at 87, 18, a bunch of math coming here. <laughs> Two years later, they're 19 years old, and they're going out west, and we're hearing about it. So now I'm still in high school. Now, by the time it's my turn to get out of high school, 1991. These guys have already been out there two and three years. So my friends, they're not going to wait. They're going. Mm-hmm. We're 17 and 18 years old. They're going right away. My mom and dad just kind of put down a little bit of a... You know, a little bit of an ultimatum. Don't go just yet. We know you want to go. But uh, get your get some school done. You'll be okay to go at 19 also. I was 17 when I got to high school. So that was hard because the second wave from our little group of people, there was a 1991 wave. All of our buddies went. Oh, man. So all those guys who were class of 91, they're 18 and you know 17 years old, they go out there. When it was our turn in 93... We had already been able to see, you know, the guys who were kind of shifting from the first wave. And the second wave, which we were part of, we missed. Now we're this third wave. It's a little bit passe. We're not going to go to Colorado where they all went. We're going to keep going. We went all the way to Oregon, which is (laughs) twice the distance from us, right? So it was this sort of frontier thing. Like, I remember when I was about, I don't know, this is right after the second wave. And I'm staying back. So I'm 18 and a half years old. And I'm waiting for the third wave. And this guy pulls me aside and he says, this big, tall, like kind of badass, like kind of outdoor looking guy, you know, we get to bullshit at some party. And he says, you got to promise me you're going to get yourself to Alaska. I said, what are you talking about? Alaska? I, I work up in Alaska <laughs> in the summer. Yeah. You work in Alaska? Yeah, what do you do up there? Oh, he works up some fishing or some shit. He goes, you got to go up there because the, the place is wild. The women is wild. the women are wild, the money's wild, and you gotta go someday. Now just never forget this. <laughs> I can remember what his breath smelled like because he was this big tall guy, and you were this little kid, and you're just taking notes like, what do you, what do you mean Alaska? So, you know, five years later, I went to Alaska and I spent four summers up there, Amazing. and that was what kicked me off. Like that guy always had this little mystery in me. So, you know, we're hearing these stories of people coming back where the snow was really good in the mountains. They're going down to Denver. This is all in Colorado. They're going down to Denver, you know, to see bands and things and stuff. Now, for us to go to Detroit was five or six hours. 
for Denver, it's one hour from where they're living up in these mountains down to Denver. Okay, so, you know, we're just hearing all these new economies and new efficiencies. And, you know, they're out there. They're out. It's awesome. And they're away from home. And, you know, here's the thing. When we get out west, you know, when we finally get out there, I'm 19 years old with a third wave. We go farther than the other guys go in the second wave. <laughs> the first wave, they're all the way out in Seattle and shit now because they're trying all these other places. So we have places to stay in other spots. Yeah, amazing. You know? There was a fourth wave in 1995, you know, and we would see those guys on different, you know, they'd come and stay with us yeah. or whatever. It was, it was this whole, <laughs> whole thing. My buddies who work in snowboarding magazines, I'm always asking them, you know, are kids still doing this shit? Because we threw it all away, kind of, but it was the best. It was beautiful. It was amazing. So, you know, I had a pizza job. My first year I had a pizza job. I would work at night and then I would shred during the day, ride during the day. You know, we'd be up there by nine. 9 30 10. It's amazing to have that energy though when you were a kid, incredible. right? Incredible. <laughs> and then go till 4, 3, 2 30s. You know, if you had to work at 4, you have to leave at 2 30, hitchhike back down 20 miles down to Little Bend, Oregon, which is about <laughs> three hours from here, other side of the Cascades. And uh, you know, get to your pizza job and work 4 to 11, and you're back home by midnight, and you're back in, you know, so it was really cool. Was really some cool. of your favorite years of growing up or were they all good it sounded well, like they were all I mean on, good. on a physical level that's the most where I was like you know the smallest you know, I'm a big person I was tiny because I was kicking ass around the west and doing my you know doing my deal um, but um, we were broke and I don't want to say it was a bad thing but I remember what that was like yeah. and we were broke and it was just sort of like I didn't have enough um I could barely afford records. Yeah. But we had each other. Yeah. We had our pass and we had a job to pay our rent. We had very little. That's why I started going to Alaska because I didn't want to spend a summer being broke down there. I couldn't. It's no I, fun. I had yeah. to come back for that next winter because well, I was only going to do this one time and then I was going to go to state school or you know go to like a big school back in Michigan. I was going to leave the West, go back home, and start over. I was like, fuck it, I want another year of this. I turned it into five years before I went back to school in Minneapolis. But um Yeah, so that's where we're coming yeah. to next. So then you you went back east again. Yeah. Um to the what, what area do we of the country is like called, yeah, the, Midwest. the Midwest. Midwest. That's yeah. it. See that you then went back to the Midwest to study um in Minneapolis. What what made you decide to make that move? Well, I, I got to the end of, I, I'll just, I, you know, I, I guess I kind of call it the orbit. I got to the end of this little, there's a bit of an orbit that we were feeling at least up on the mountain we were living on. The idea that like, I knew what to expect. I just knew it, it just wasn't even really fun. It was fun. It was physical. We were outside. You were with your buddies. You're hitting jumps. You're hiking. You're, it's beautiful. You know, Oregon outdoors is beautiful. But, but it got predictable. And the thing that I started to see around me is I started to see people getting jobs. Now, these were cool jobs. They were up in Portland working for snowboarding companies and things. But the one thing those all those guys had in common, they had some schooling you know, out of the way or as part of their deal. They had that. I didn't have that. I only had a little associate's degree. Now, these kids went to art school. And they knew what they were going to go do. Or they went to some sort of business school. And then they were had, you know, placed in a little better. And they were making, I remember one kid, and one time was making $23,000 a year. And it just sounded like so much to me. Because I was making a quarter of that. You know, I mean, and I was living okay. Yeah. I was working a pizza job. Well, you know, as a good Midwesterner, I just knew, like, this is some Peter Pan shit going on here. And no one else is going to do it for me. So I have to go figure out where I'm going to, you know, you know. I don't want to be broke. 
and we had five great years. So this decision to go throw it all away, there was too much noise where I lived. I had too many buddies. There's no way I would have got a, I just, There's no way I would have got a, mm-hmm. Did you move there on your own then? To yeah, I did. I mean, I, so the thing is, is I went back home to where it's safe. My mom and dad, the Midwest. I have a home base. I went there to be, you know, just to kind of like have a place to go crash for a while. Started seeing these different schools. I went to the University of Michigan. I went to CCS in Detroit. I went to a school in uh, Milwaukee. Anyway, but my heroes, design heroes, were from Minneapolis. Chuck Anderson, um, Sharon Werner, Haley Johnson. These were names I saw, you know, uh, uh, in in annuals and stuff. Um, You know, Duffy Design. Okay, these are these big Midwestern heroes. They're people with agencies, whatever. Well, I went there because they they were there, so I checked out the art school there. And I got in. I couldn't afford it, but they gave me a scholarship. Nice. I couldn't afford it. Was 30, it was 18000 a year, plus your lodging and your wow. bullshit. And I just couldn't afford it. There was no way. I never had that kind of money in my life. But I got a $36,000 scholarship, which allowed to pay for basically two years right away. So I had two more years to go. I had to cover about a year or something. you know. And then, of course, all my rent and stuff. The, the, but, the, but the bigger thing was I was immersing myself in a whole different culture, which was not this active outdoor um, I don't want to say macho, but kind of like, oh, we're going outside, we're all together, we're, you know, there's like this sort of like, there wasn't any big competitive thing to it, you know. Some of the guys were be, were riding for, were sponsored by different companies, and there was a competitive nature to that, but not, not us. We were just excited to be out there doing it. But um, it was really fun to shed all of that. Because I did it for five years. Had five, four summers up in Alaska, Five summers in Oregon, living wild, the whole range, healthy, nothing weird, and traveled all over the West and did big road trips. It was incredible, but it was a bit of a of a shift where it was like, I'm not going to worry about nature. I'm going to go worry about getting myself lined up to do the work that I need to do probably the rest of my life because I was an artist that whole time while I was out there and I was a graphic designer that time I guess you call it too I was drawing and painting and doing all sorts of stuff because I that was my hobby but the design stuff you started to see like if you don't have a computer you just don't yeah and how would I have a computer I just sneak into a community college and use my friend's email <laughs> I didn't even have my own email for, that was 1994 95 so I, you know, I would use my friend's email to send messages because I thought that's how it worked. I just didn't even know. But I didn't like being like this thing like, I don't have all this stuff. So, you know, when I went up in the summer of 96 into Alaska, you know, I saved 11000 bucks. That's how I bought my first computer. That next winter, I'm still in Oregon. And I had that computer. I made like eight or nine grand that year. What that wow. means, that's like just... The idea that I would have made two or three grand like just doing like part-time pizza work. I had money in the bank first time. Because I had the computer. I had the tools. But what I earned it. What computer was it? Uh, Power Computing 180. Power Computing. <laughs> one of those Matt clones. I spent the entire summer, what I made that summer, on that computer. That's how I got my first computer. That's how it started. Right? Had that machine for about three years. But then I had the tools to output. Hmm to send a disk or send an email or whatever it was. I had all the necessary tools. It was awesome. But I got that by, through sacrifice. I went up to spend a beautiful summer in Alaska. But I wasn't up there to like fish or fuck or fight or anything. I was up there to just work. So when I went back to school, that was like a, there was like a relief of like, 
I've got my machine. This is how I can work. I have my tools. But I need this. I need this piece of paper. I thought you had to have it. Turns out you don't have to have it. Yeah. But more for me, it was like it was like a proud thing to say to my mom and dad. Well, I got a bachelor's design, you know, a bachelor's degree in graphic design from this prestigious art school in Minneapolis. It was awesome. But you know, on top of that, did I learn a lot at school? Yeah. But more the confidence of like I've got something. And I've got work ethic, and I know how to take it on the chin, and I'm not going to be one of these nimble art student dipshits who were taught that by other art student dipshits who <laughs> came back to become. Well, I'm just saying. Yeah. You go to farming school, they're tough. Yeah. And you get taught that, you know. And you go to whatever. You go to small engine repair. School, you know, school. You learn how to small. They're fucking tough people. Art school was like, you know, it was like this weird license to be these kind of like difficult things. And fuck if I was going to be that. So, you know, I get hit all these years later, get hit pretty hard with all this. You're really blue collar. Fuck if I am. No, I just know how to work. Yeah. I know how to be okay with it. And I know how to make great things come out of it. And I know how to make, be creative and not feel like I'm getting slammed down. I know how to make a change when it got, you know, got away from me a little bit back in, I guess, the early 2000s where I was like, I don't want to work in these agencies and have to be there in the morning and then play fucking ping pong all day. No way. You know, you wanted to work. You but wanted I, to do but, the work. But I, I had to. I had to pay back school. So it was like this weird series of things where I just knew, like, this is the first step in getting to where I want to get to, which is be a professional graphic designer. I didn't even know I already was. Who? That's the fun part. No one told me I was. I didn't know I was. So you aren't. And that's the awesome stuff mm. because you're just doing it for the love. Yeah. Just hobby. And I was I had tons of work. That's what got me into school in Minneapolis. They said, well, show us your portfolio. I had a shoebox <laughs> full of shit. It doesn't matter if it was for money or not for money. I just showed them energy yeah. and I was in. Energy. And that's a good... It was, mm. it was cool. I mean, because I, I was going to do it for fun or what little I made from the freelance thing. It was incredible because I didn't have to work at a pizza job. You know, and that was even impressive to my buddies. Like, we have to go punch in at these jobs. You get to work in your, in, you know, in your, in your, in your bedroom. Yeah, pretty cool, right? You know, I mean, I, I saw a couple flashes of that. Wanted it, I had to go to achieve it. So, you know, for school, you know, I, I remember they let me out early as an externship because I went and got my first job, and I really wish I wouldn't have taken off that first thing because I just wish I would. I was paying for it, and you know, I, I got out of school with twenty eight thousand dollars in loans, which was let off pretty easily even for 19 you know 98 to 2000 but i missed those classes i went and started to work you know uh, and we did like this uh, yeah, externship but i missed like a furniture class i'm still yeah. pissed and i missed some <laughs> other things these are electives because now i got all the hard shit out of the way and i get to have like a fun semester yeah. where you're you know do your portfolio or whatever so you know i'm glad i got out of the way i'm proud i don't even know where my diploma's at i really don't even know i don't i don't i, don't, I have one but no one's ever asked me. No one yeah. ever asked me, like, by it's the funny, way, it's an industry, you were a 3.98 and you were a 3.89 <laughs> and Drappen was a 2.1. You know, no one's ever asked me. Those no, great. You know, same, same. No one's ever asked Right, right. Yeah. So there's a confidence kind of thing there. And you let your book do the talking, you know. But I also had to have someone tell me, you're going to be okay. Can you uh, tell us when you decided to start your own studio? Yeah. I mean, it's really what, what it was was you know you 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 see these flashes of people around you're like that guy's really healthy or got a real zest like some of these guys we're seeing coming back from like nike across the the way here Mm. you know they gotta drive 20 miles and they gotta sit in 40 minutes of traffic and they are frazzled 
when we all meet for a dinner that Friday night. Granted, they're making some of the coolest shit in the world. But you see it on them. But what's up with this guy? He works out of his backyard. Really? Yeah. And I, I got to know this guy. And he was a friend. You know, through friends. And he said, he said, I remember he said, he said, Draplin, you got the skills. You got the work ethic. You can go do this on your own. I work out of my, my, my extra bedroom. I take my kids to school every day. I see them, raise, I raise them. And I, I pick them up from school. And I work late sometimes if I have to, but I don't have to pretend to want to be where you're at. And I know how you feel now because he had worked at this place I worked at, I think, you know, if I remember the story. But, I mean, it just really was like, I can go do this. But, you know, the Midwesterner in me, the fear-based decision-maker in me, I wasn't just going to go and do it. I saved 20 or 4, 23 grand because with that money saved, I had, I had just bought a house. With that much money in the bank... You know, and I was lucky to get a couple you know, big jobs to put me over that. That meant I had my rent paid, and I had, a, in case there was no jobs, I had enough to cover my ass for six months. Hmm. And that was like a tactical thing. Well, month one, I was making money. And I love to say now, one year after I, okay, so when I jumped out on my own, I was paid $62,000 at a job. So you're 62 or 65, 65,000 bucks, which is pretty good. And this is even better, you know, for, you know, um, um, the year 2003 or whatever, <laughs> yeah. it was, whatever it was. It was, it was good. I worked hard. I did my time. But my first year on my own, first full year working, I broke 200,000 bucks. Amazing. So what that means, I tripled my shit, my intake, and I had more time for myself. And it was weird. Uh, if I wanted to work, I was in my basement here. If I wanted to work around the clock, I did. I did all the time. <laughs> well, what's interesting then is that little house that I had bought in 2004, you know, suddenly I realized, fuck, I am capable of making way more than they told me I was going to be able to make. I could have got the house with two extra bedrooms, but I didn't do that. I bought the frugal house because yeah. I was within my means. I'm good at that, right? It's a fear kind of thing. But when I started to make money and started to get ahead, I didn't piss it away. I started paying off stuff. First thing I paid off, my mortgage insurance. Started chipping away at my school loan. By the time I was, I think it was 2012, I had zero debt. I owned the house, owned all my cars, you know, my car, had all my school loans paid off, had no money owed to anyone. Now, I did that by the time, I want to say I was about 30... I don't know, I was like 34 or something. You know, 35 or 36, it was awesome. But it was, I mean, what I'm getting at is like, that's when things really tipped. When I got to that point where everything was paid off. But you did that though, you know, you, do you, is that something you got from your folks, you think? You've obviously been incredibly wise with money. Yeah. You're, you're incredibly generous with your skills, but you've been so wise with, with money well, and your fear. work ethic. It's incredible. My, my, my dad, you know, what, what's tough now is like, when I, when I hear this stuff like, you know, your dad never made more than about 40 grand a year. It's like, what? We had everything we needed. We had clutter. We had stuff. We had, no, <laughs> yeah. It's like some austere, you know, kind of austere situation. No, we had, he was a junker. He had fun things to play with. He had everything that he needed. Yes, that 40 grand is different in 1990 or something, whenever I, you know, the lap, whatever it was. But what I'm getting at is like, I had good lessons around me of how to be good with your money. 
you know and my mom was one of these like sort of checks and balances kinds of person like don't just go make that decision if you're gonna go out west now here's what you're throwing behind if you're gonna go out west in two years here's at least what you'll have that's amazing you no know, that kind of stuff mm, like that's we incredible. had yeah, like, yeah. you know and i would have these uh and then you get overwhelmed it's like your financial advisor but little, you know a well, little little bit you know and to this day i'll run stuff past her and say what would you do with this and you know and and for her also i do the same for her but i had that sort of you know that sort of decision making process but you know i mean i don't know it's 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 you know it's like the the, the money thing a lot of that's fear based i just didn't want to be held down i knew i'd always have enough to pay my rent i had that in me but i never knew i'd get to a point where i had like enough saved for a lot of like other people to help so i help a lot of people i, I don't need all this you know People make fun of me, like Leo, like my girl would be like, Aaron got a new shirt last year. <laughs> yes, I did. So I, you know, I don't need another shirt. You know, this shirt is four or five years old. Amazing. I don't give that's a shit. That's what my brother's like. Yeah. I think you'd, you'd get on really well with my Well, you know, brother, I mean, actually. it's like, that's like there's, a, there's a quality to that. Like, listen, I want a new record. I go buy new guitar strings. I go get it, whatever I need. But that also comes from when I couldn't get those things and I had to wait and yeah. save. I know what, I still can taste it. And I just, you know... That's all frivolous stuff. I guess what I'm getting at is like, without naming names. But I saw people around me get in trouble or getting shoot out of town. Not even my friends. And it was like, I don't ever want to have a bad name. And I want to be a good worker. And I want to have enough to cover myself, at least, number one. I have to, I have to do that. And then, I, you know, my dad was very generous. Like, if you needed something, you know, I remember him, like, pulling me aside and being like, don't tell your mom about this. But here's a $100 bill. And like, oh. Like that was that added. I was leaving with seven hundred bucks that I saved, and now I had twelve percent more. You know these numbers, yeah, yeah. Dad. Well, that's your gas money all the way out west. Amazing. You know, it was amazing. You know, and he, you know that's like now I'll do that. You know, I'll do that for people. You know, and say, hey, here's this. Like I'll see a buddy on the on tour. And I'll leave him a couple hundred bucks and just say, your gas is paid for the next eleven shows. Amazing. So maybe you guys can make a little more. You know. And then I, I'll get that. But that's back. your mom and your dad there. Your mom's helping you with the checks and balances and your dad with yeah. that generosity of spirit. And I yeah. mean, obviously they both had more than just sure, that. Sure, sure, sure. <laughs> I don't know. We, I'm super fascinated by people's relationship with their parents in these things. Of course. A lot of, a lot of creative people either had super kind parents or some kind of issue with a parent or another. Yeah, it's not really kind of, yeah, well, I mean, yeah, we were, my mom and dad lost their mom and dads when they were young. So, there was always this sort of like shit hanging over us of like my dad saying, that's not how you're going to act. I lost my dad. I didn't have him. You're not going to talk to me like that because this is all we got, you know? Um, so what would you consider some of the notable work that you did in the beginning when you set the studio up? Well, I think it was, it was getting retainers and having friends in the snowboarding industry. One, the first one that really you know, kind of sunk in was uh, Cole Headwear. Okay. And whether or not it was nice or well done, and I'm, I'm a little biased. I mean, we did good work, and I fought to make it as best we could. Mm. We built something. And that first year went from, you know, the little, it's headwear. It was beanies and you know, hats and cool stuff. And went from 16 hats to the next year was 32. The next year was 64. The next year was whatever. And it capped out at, you know, I don't know, it was sort of like you know, 250 skews a, a year. But... You know, I'm going to be filming with those guys next weekend or something for a quick little cameo on one of their new videos. Right. I haven't worked for them in five years. But from 2002 to uh, 
you know, I think 2003 to about, you know, 2014, I worked for them. It was a retainer. And that was about three years in from being on my own. It wasn't even necessarily about if it was good or bad work. It was solid, lots of work coming in, and I could meet what they needed. What that meant was for coal headware, I did every graphic thing my buddy Brad needed. Hang tag, do it. Website, help, consult. These guys who are going to go build, I don't know how to, yeah. you know, do, give them mock-ups. I did all this stuff, you know. Here's the little thing that comes inside the hat. Do it. Knocked it out, right? This little label, everything. Union binding company, same thing. You know, everything on a, on a pair of snowboard bindings from the boxes to the stuff to the, every little logo. I did all that stuff for these guys. Uh, snowboard magazine. Uh, you know, it was you know, seven years with a bunch of fucking animals, but I, I loved them and I missed those guys. We would do it in my basement, you know, right over there at that other house, you know. The, the bigger the bigger thing, I don't really remember because there was a lot of mm. stuff. There were logos for 50 bucks, 500 bucks, five grand, and a couple 25 and 30 granders, right? But I don't remember that. What I more remember is the independence of like, I'm working for people I like. And whether or not this makes a lot of money, someone's buying a cool hat and we're doing our job for them. You know, we're making catalogs to help sell this stuff. I made catalogs. Is it the most romantic thing? Who gives a shit? My shit's getting paid off and I'm working with my friends and wow, I have extra money for stuff. With regards to the work, what's your favorite sort of logo or brand that you've done during your, your oh, time? Oh, man, I don't know, man. I think <laughs> it's not even the stuff that made me money. It's more the things that still work today. So Union Binding Company, it still works. It's on the binding. It works pressed into the binding at the size of a P or on the side of a truck, and it still works. That's my favorite you know, stuff because the principles it was made with was what I gleaned from... Well, how did they make Delta Airlines last for 50, 60 years? Mm. Because of corporate consistency. You know, these funny, scary little concepts, but, you know, corporate's a weird word, but no, I learned from it. Yeah. And then they have simple moves, and those moves, if you do it the right way, and you have this nice math, and you have these nice, and we're talking just geometric, yeah. you know, ge geometry, nice geometry, that stuff will embroider well, it'll pound into metal well, it'll be carved out a wood well and it'll be painted on the side of a plane someday maybe well that's pretty interesting to me because the proof now is you know 16 years later of just union binding company it's one of the leading binding brands in snowboarding now, I, that's a weird thing to say because it's like when we started we were the tiniest but with good decision making good people good graphics good product they kept growing and there it's I, I, so I'm really proud of that I, I would probably say you know as a system as a system, the union binding company, because it was about, like, like we even designed the way we talked about it. One guy was from Italy. One guy was kind of a quiet guy from Seattle. We're not going to write these long-winded diatribes, so fuck it, just say stronger. Period. It's pretty confident. But it was a tactic. Whereas on Cole Headwear, my other big retainer, we were warm. And the, and the way we talked about the product was just the way I would talk about you. Oh, it's got this cool little clip in the back. Yeah. It's got this cool little clip in the back that's super comfy, and you're really going to dig it. Uh, get it on the page. Like my buddy who would get all flustered, my buddy Brad would get flustered writing. I would say, tell me how you would tell me if we were just driving in the Amazing. car. Let me just write it down. Fuck it. That is authentic to you. That's what people want to hear. They don't want to, yeah. hear, they don't want to be bullshitted, right? Well, I mean, see, here's the thing. At the same time, we were seeing friends work for bigger things and have writers involved in things and stuff. 
We didn't have to do any of that. We might not have had the coolest shit, but we started to see patterns in the people who had the writing. It was coy, overly uh, clever, the, cloyingly. Yeah. Is that the word? Yeah. It's like too sweet. Yeah, yeah. Like, come on. You That's predictable. Fuck that. Yes, it's cute. I remember this one time there was this thing about these two words. And the word was construction. So we're talking about like how to build a jacket seam. And the big writing they paid for was immaculate construction. You know, immaculate conception? <laughs> yeah. Like, you know, yeah. Immaculate construction. And someone paid someone like Fuck you. When you just could have said, <laughs> built as strong as we could build it. Yeah. That's all. So, so that, that's the stuff that yeah, I remember yeah. is like not having to fight the process. I got, I had a, you know, I had a list a mile along at the start of the year and I had to chip it all down. So I think, I think this comes back to the blue collar thing. I'm going to talk about that again for a second is that I think why people consider the work blue collar is because there's no bullshit is because you make logos yeah. to last and for working companies. Yeah. These aren't flowery sort of, yeah, right. and the stuff right. you love as well. Yeah, yeah, the stuff yeah. That yeah you yeah, collect yeah. is oh, from sure. everyday stuff: sure. matchbooks, caps, the side of trucks. This is all like well, be- blue collar language. It's beautiful it? to me. Yeah. it's beautiful to me. I mean, there are some, you know, some high society shit mixed in there, but it's more like I don't know how to say it. I don't know how to say it on a larger level. If we go out of here and we go have a sandwich somewhere. I don't want to be the kind of human being that can't go over just to our supermarket over there and just have a quick sandwich. I don't want to be cynical and be like, ah, it's like that's you need to go to this cool spot. That's just how to have a sandwich. Yeah. Well, apply that to graphic design. I didn't want to be this guy who'd say, they have no money, they have no budget, but damn, that's a cool record. I'm not doing it because they can't pay me what I'm worth. Fuck, I didn't want to be that kind of guy. You know, you, we make all these little, like, barriers. I'm not going to go just eat at some pedestrian Safeway. Listen, we go get a sandwich when we're done there. It's fucking delicious. Yeah. I haven't seen you guys eat yet, but you'll destroy that <laughs> thing. It's fine. You know, versus us going to some little persnickety-ass yeah. place with a bunch of graduate students who won't even change your special order or my special order or your special order. They, this is how we do it. You know, it's like, man... I don't want to be that kind of person, not just getting a sandwich, but in my life. Um, so did you expect uh, your Field Notes brand to become a, such a big kind of global brand when you started yeah, it? No way. And I, I don't know if it is a big global brand, but I mean, it's we're, we're global, but it's, I don't know how to say it. It's like, hell no, did I think that. <laughs> and I wasn't prepared for that either. You know, it's like when it happened, when you don't think that way, hmm. you have to understand, it's like, what punk rock and punk rock comes with a weird asterisk what does that mean it's not like oi 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 or fucking you know like it's more like to make your own band or brand and what punk rock taught me aside from the haircuts and the t-shirts and shit you could go do your own shit and have your own license to it it might not be big it might never be anything but it's real and it's yours and it's awesome so to make a fake memo company, memo book. You know, I made those books, the first 200, I made my by hand. Is that a company? Who gives a shit? Mm-hmm. Was I around all this artisanal schmizzinal here in Portland? Of course. We have that shit on lock for years. You know, this this town is just, as my buddy Matt Cass used to say, just in a forever, you know, downpouring of just hipster monsoon. Of course. <laughs> That's what we have here. It's awesome. That's why we live here. It's beautiful. We make fun of it, but it's awesome. But um, 
you could just make your own thing. But with that comes a big asterisk. This might only just be me making books for my buddies. Who gives a shit? Let's go for it. When I give it to Jim Kudal as a friend and say, hey, take these. I'm just getting to know the guy. When I give it to him and I see this like little like this little jilt in him, like, we got something here. What is this? You know, we could you, know, you want to be partners on this thing? He saw something. I you know, there's no we. That day we became a we. Jim built a site. Jim got into the hands of a bunch of people. Jim started to build sort of a structure. He's got me to come in mind for colors and type and ideas and hey, let's do this or let's do that. Jim's an idea guy. He's a make shit happen kind of guy. He's a scaling guy. Now, I always say I would have killed it if it was just me. And I probably would have because it, I didn't know how to think bigger than he did right out of the gates. Because he built other brands. So I got lucky is what I'm trying to say. Right. I met a guy that just knew how to do it. And how to put a team together. These loyal people that work for him to this day. It's not about the field notes. For about eight or nine years now, that's all everyone's worked on now. Like, I brought that to them. That's a great source of pride in my life. But not really. I brought him a tiny little idea, and he built it into a bigger idea and made it into a real thing. And whether or not we're 2,000 stores or whatever the numbers are, I'm just proud that they're affordable. I'm proud that when you see them next to jeans that are 700 bucks, and we are in those sorts of stores, <laughs> that our shit's $9.99 or maybe $12.95. They're not $129.95. You know what I mean? I've been to memo book stores where it's the same paper and shit that we have, and the memo books are 50 bucks for a pack of three. They're beautiful, but it's just a hit of ink, and so is ours. We're having a great time recording the podcast, and it's really good to hear that you guys are enjoying it too. So keep on commenting, letting us know that you're enjoying it. Like and subscribe on iTunes. Follow us on Instagram so you can keep up with what we're doing. We've got some exciting stuff coming up. Now back to the show. See, you, one thing we love about your Instagram is the pictures of the junk that you find when digging through junk stores. Um, (laughs) Can you talk to us a bit about your love of junk yeah, there's artifacts from our past, what, last 40 years of like, you know, how to figure out how to make cool plastics or neat posters or some neat print or some neat piece of furniture. There's artifacts from that stuff. Some of it was celebrated, call it an Eames chair, but those are hard to get. You get the real one, they're worth, you know, five and six times yeah. whatever, whatever they're, it's $5,000 for one of these cool chairs. Okay, cool. If you get one, you got the real deal. And I got to say, they look kind of old too. But that was the celebrated thing. That's the stuff we know about. The interesting part is you go look, you'll see other kinds of Eames chairs that weren't cool. They're doing the exact same job, and they're cool. Now, that said, that's just cool furniture. Now, let's just say it's some shitty logo for a construction company. I don't know the big logos that you'd saw on signs or, you know, at some sort of like maybe kind of war hall, you know, they... Pop culture affected something, and everyone knows a Campbell soup can because of what that thing did and the ironic quality and etc. But you go look at soup cans, whoever Campbell's competitor was, they're pretty amazing, you know. And then when you go a little bit deeper than that, like just say like a logo, like I'm not even concerned about what the brand was. It's just how the brand talked about itself or how it protected itself. You flip the box over and you find the little safety standards and those logos are really well crafted. Because why? Because they had to be perfectly functional. They had to work on a shitty cardboard box that is limitation (laughs) and restraint and beautiful design. 
Because sometimes that's what you got. Now, we get to all work in this world where everything's digital, smidgital, and everything was due yesterday, and blah, 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 shit you've heard me say 47 times. But when you see something that is kind of an afterthought designed really, really well, that's where you see the power of design because it's just meant to work. That's the stuff I love the most. So when you're out in a cornfield in the middle of the most uncool, they call it flyover country, and you're out in the uncoolest state in the uncoolest, who gives a shit about a farm? And you see this beautiful farm seed logo saying this kind of seed is grown in this kind of field by this kind of farm that is graphic design and it's just as valid and it's just as beautiful and no one knows about it and i have learned many moves from that kind of shit you'll never know about it because it's not celebrated you gotta go dig for it so there's this weird return and yet one afternoon of junking and i find just stuff i want to share reminders not everything has to be thick yeah, Jeff, right, right. <laughs> well, sometimes things can be thin. Because, you know, t just to be clear about this, when people ask me about my style or whatever, here's the deal. If the job I'm working on tonight required thin lines, that's absolutely what I would do. Because that's not, it's not for me, it's for the job. That's my responsibility to doing my job. Fine. Sure, it's a kind of an idealist, you know, sort of a, you know, set of like, you know, things to say, but it's like, I don't know how to say it. It's like, that's the job. Yeah. It's irresponsible just to go and dip their job in me. Yeah, to put your ego in you it when, when that's not the you point. Know, this is the, mm. the job is to get a paycheck. So when I go out and I see other jobs like that where they did beautiful work, that's really inspiring to me. Because it could have just been some big lughead bulldozer. But fuck if they didn't make that type work really great with that really serious limitation of the actual bulldozer piece of equipment. That's design. It's no different if you're working on a website and you have to do this many folds and flaps and things and pressures and devices. You're working with limitations. But there'll be no traces of those. That's the thing. People will find your stuff. Like 40, 50 years, and oh, people will yeah. be junking oh. and they'll find your stuff. And yeah. That's incredible. I mean, that's, I mean the, 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 it's like, I don't know how to say Oh, I used to say, uh, I know how to say this. The unsung heroes of design. Yeah. I love that stuff because they weren't celebrated. They were working people and they did the job and it was just as beautiful. And I just find great inspiration in that because that's kind of how I look at myself. What's your best digging story? Oh, man. Uh, I don't know. So many, fuck. Up behind you guys, look up at the top of that shelf. See that American flag, uh, you know, uh, lunchbox? Yeah. I remember, okay, I'll try to talk about this and make it concise, sorry. I went to a, one of my first estate sales in Portland right after I moved up here in 2002. So this would have been, you know, the summer of 2002. And there's an estate sale on a Thursday. And we go on our lunch hour, me and my buddies from Cinco. And we go to this thing. And I remember, this is the first time I've ever been to an estate sale. First time I've ever been to an estate sale in Portland. And it's like, well, what do you do? You just, someone died. And you go in. And you get to go through their house. There's a creepy quality to that. <laughs> and then there's a line of people. And there's other people getting ready to go into this thing and do it with you. But I was kind of confused. Anyway, we go into the house. And like, what I remember is I remember women opening these drawers. And a woman saying, oh my God, this is all of her underwear. Which meant whoever was there died. And that they didn't even take the time to like clean out Oof. all that kind of stuff. And I remember... And this might be a little bit of a wives' tale all these years later, or just a fish tale. It might be a bit of a fish tale all these years later. But I, I, I want to say I remember like either like 
gums in a jar or gums in a glass. You know how you take your gums yeah. out? And you got this sense where it was like, <laughs> oh my God, someone died yesterday and now they're just picking it and parting it out. So there was this weird moment where I was like, I don't want to be a vulture. I want to be respectful. Yes, it's neat that the energy from this place is going back out into the world. And that day I found that American flag um, lunchbox. And that thing is absolutely perfect to me. It's patriotic. There's a weird part of me that's like, what a fucking time we're in now, but I will always love America and the ideals and just et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But the object, it was like five bucks. And it was one of those objects in that really profound moment of like, wow, this is fun to go to a state sale, but I have to be a good citizen. But it was one of those moments where you're like, I will have what I have in my hands the rest of my life. Why would I ever get rid of it? And it's this weird kind of neat kind of completionist feeling of like, I have one of these now. I didn't even know they existed. <laughs> and now I have it. I'll have it for the rest of my days. And some of those things are actually in the corners of these little things here. They're little things I could show you that are like, like an anvil, a little sales sample anvil or some neat little bank or some neat little thing where it's like, a, you know, like that Sainsbury can. Yeah. We'll get some. We'll get some pictures of those. Well, I mean, our... that thing right there. It's like that thing is just like so beautifully designed. Did you get that out here? Yeah, uh, I think I got off of eBay or something. Yeah. You know, someone would have, some collector would have had it, but it's stunning. I just wanted to have one piece of Sainsbury. That's what yeah. it means. Because I got the book. And I wanted to have one. Piece. <laughs> I mean, do you have any of that stuff from back in the day? No, I mean it's, it's that's gone. So rare. Yeah. yeah, yeah, it's gone. And it was it, open and eaten and it consumed. Was, it was functional and put in a landfill or whatever. Yeah. You know, it's like I always think about that stuff and 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 normal like what we're living in right now because it's like well what are we doing that to right now that we should maybe think about and you know that's what gets a little hoardery yeah it's a little weird but so we're we're going for our own shit with brexit sure. you guys are going for your own stuff with trump yeah do you think um you're a supporter of bernie do you think it's possible that bernie could could win in 2020 i think anything's a possibility i i i i, I just like fuck it you know it's like we ran the establishment and people didn't want establishment. You know, Hillary was establishment. Viciously. Mm-hmm. And I, I voted for her. And I was excited for her, you know. But she's part of the fabric of all she's that a stuff. continuation. Oh, yeah. Same. I mean, just yeah. the same much as she And you know what? She would have done a great job. And it would have been business as usual. You know, I don't have a problem with conservative versus liberal. I have a problem with, I have a problem with decency. Yeah. This guy's a piece of shit. Yeah. And that's all there is to it. Now, it's funny how this asshole makes a Ted Cruz, and I don't know if you know these names. Yeah, I do. These assholes look good. Well, right, because they are establishment. Because America works by that stuff. We're not going to swing this far left. I mean, this is about decorum and dignity, and he has none of that shit. He's just the worst human being on the planet anyway. Well, and he was always known for that. You know, in my book, when I say fuck Don Trump and those list of things I hate, that, that list was written... 15 and 16 years ago because I knew what a pompous piece of shit he was <laughs> then. Okay, okay. So to see him at the very level, he's a bully. No one likes a Absolutely. bully. So, oh man, you know, I don't know. It's just such a weird time with all this shit. Um, could Bernie go do it? I like the idea of Bernie. Integrity. Helping regular people. It's not a very attractive thing. You know, and it, it is the right thing. That's what I like about Bernie. He's the kind of guy that says, no, this is the right thing to do, and this is what we're going to do. It's not popular. It's not cool. But he's fucking stuck to his guns. Of course I want Bernie to win. Of course. But what I like about Bernie is, like, it's like a street fight. 
Bernie will take no shit from Don Trump. And they they are, you know, whereas Don's pretending to be this sort of right, 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 right wing. Well, Bernie is a true progressive. All the way back to being on the front lines of the civil rights fight. The other guy wasn't on that front line. Bernie was. And there's the photos to back. You know, I mean, this is like Hmm. a lifetime of making things better for people who are disenfranchised yep. and then his community better and the people of Vermont better and now, you know, whatever, you know. That's how you do. But I'll just say this much. I'll just say this. Well, right. I'd vote for this hat if it got in the fucking back. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, there was a, some, some guy the other day who was saying he was a Republican guy. Enough's enough. I'm going to challenge you as a Republican. Fucking, I'll vote for you right Amazing. now. Because if it is just sort of about decorum and dignity and sort of leadership and just not being this big bloated beast... I'll take it. So we're going to hit the quick fire questions. Okay. Um, and I'm going to start. Um, which idea do you wish you'd thought of? We have a friend who's a therapist in town. And when we're around her, we always talk about, well, what are like, you know, like um, fear of heights is fear of, fear of, there's fear of getting cut by paper. There's all sorts of weird things. Like people like do this with a piece of paper, like up against their lips and they get that little cut. There's a yeah. fear of like, like cutting in between your, you know, yeah, like the, like little, the web of your, yeah, yeah. So there's some name for this stuff, okay, proper phobias. And I asked her, I said, is there a phobia for the vastness in the possible never ending infinity of space because that is a big fucking thing to chew on and just like people are worried about tripping over cracks in the sidewalk are people uneasy that we don't know how far it goes in this direction because that shit's real right now and i love when i'm a, like like a neil degrasse tyson kind of yeah. character who can frame these things to un- to give you just a tiny little taste of your cosmic insignificance. That's very humbling. Because then suddenly, everything's going to be okay. You know, we're going to fucking die. You're going to die. You're gonna die. Hopefully, I'm going to die a, a wet, horrible death. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, you're going to die. And then you just kind of realize, like, you could die tomorrow. You just, you, you, you can't be afraid of that. You, you know, there's something about, like, you can't be afraid that you don't know. You will never know. It's just mathematically impossible for us to understand how far we can go i mean you you will never get that because what does the universe this is what we talk about at the talk it's like does the universe have an edge remember time bandits yeah love time bandits love that shit <laughs> love that shit and they're in the void yeah and do you remember when he's, yeah they're hanging from the rope and the little guy drops from the rope where does he drop to into space you know what i'm saying <laughs> yeah. just into the void just floats forever in that darkness. Where was that thing connected to? <laughs> that's the kind of shit I really trip out on because really that's what we're doing. Like what's below us forever? What's above us forever? Does that forever just at some point, like a Modest Mouse song, loop back in on itself where you can see the back of your head? That's real right this second. Or does the universe have an edge or does it just go forever? Because which one's more amazing? Because if you go to the physical <laughs> edge, what the fuck's past that? Yeah, I love that. There's something past my hand here. And if it is just forever, that's pretty amazing. I don't know how to follow that, but um, <laughs> what is the best era of graphic design, in your opinion? Oh, man, the best era. I just feel so weird even trying to weigh in on that. But, but I mean, because, like, you know, it's like so um, 
weird. But I, okay, I'll, I'll just go and just for the sake of fun, without worrying about whether or not I'm right or wrong or who gives a shit. There's just something about 1970 to about 1982. Wow. Okay. Poppy, fun, big goopy type. Um, you know, disco was sort of going. It was hedonism mm. into the 80s, which was the yuppies and all this kind of stuff. But it kind of, you know, design kind of got squashed when computers came around because you could do whatever you wanted, you know. So in that 86 and 87 and all the wildness of the 80s, I mean, granted, sure, the fun stuff is some kind of a back to the future motif, you know, yeah. these kind of, mm, yeah. you know, neo future, you know, that kind of fun yeah. shit, you know. We do it now, and I don't even remember it being like that, like all Miami Vice. There was one Miami Vice logo that everyone tries to ate. But um, <laughs> but there was just something about, like, just go look at the toy boxes back then. Yeah. Just the pop quality yeah, of, like, yeah. you know, like, um, straightforward and people, like, smiling and looking at things versus... 10 years before where it was a bit of a put on we're all happy yeah we're all doing this you know like after the hippie thing it kind of got there's a realist kind of quality of like there was this whole back to nature thing where people were like fuck the city we're going back out into the woods that was in the 70s and so there's something about that i don't know the music whatever you know is i don't know there's something about like just the way a product was handled it made it fun in your hand so i love like dance plastic plastic and stuff like just the way those measuring cups felt in your hand they felt like a piece of pop art in your hand go right now to i don't know what the hell you got over there but we got target here you know yeah, target or like I you know, walmart yeah i love that shit but you go buy the latest thing at a target they just don't feel as good it's the same amount of plastic it's the same amount of stuff they're probably better for your kids to teeth on and do things on and you know better plastics and things but they're just not as much fun. The packaging doesn't look as much fun. And that's kind of like, hmm, you know, what, a, what a bummer, you know? Like, um, I don't know. Yeah, there's just something about that era that just grabs me. And I just try to learn from that stuff. I'll show you something that just came today. <laughs> Keep this thing rolling. Keep it rolling. Now look at this. Today this showed up. Now this is a shitty gimmick from, from the 70s. But what this thing is, it's called Earthquake in a Can. Oh, what my. the heck is this? Now, just look at the type oh, wow. and look at the stuff. Now, just wait. It gets better. Now, what you do with this thing, <laughs> earthquake in a can. Now, look at this thing. Let me take a picture while you're sure. there. Yeah. Okay, now look at this thing. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. <laughs> now, watch what you do. You get it going about 20. Watch. Watch. <laughs> earthquake in a can. Isn't that cool? That is amazing. And I mean, god damn it. So you know you see here, there's your little push pin That's era kind of graphics. Incredible. It's still going, we got an earthquake in a can. But just look at just how great yeah, that is. That is how incredible. Fucking great that is. And then look at you know, the see that's oh a little that's God. a little trick. It's a little glue on doodad. It's a fucking soup can with a marble in amazing. it. Amazing. BB ears, big ball bearing or something. That is so that is it's still going. Beautiful. So there's just something about like walking up to this. Let me get something else. Well, and now, now you're getting me all psyched up. This kind of shit. Oh my god. So let me just pull a couple of these things out and we'll just have a wow. chat with some of this stuff. So Oh my god. So, That's like the early so, ball logo. You know, not, yeah, so right. So now this is for, first of all, just the quality of like it working in yeah. your hand. 
tennis ball saber. The graphics are incredible. Oh. This is some kind of like you know, hippy dippy. We got to take photos for the visuals. <laughs> you know, hippy dippy thing. But like, what it was was, you know, this thing. By the time, oh, take oh wow, I can smell it. Get in there. Oh, it's creepy. <laughs> I smell that by the way, I, I'm not into this thing. Don't put that in your thing. No, no, no. It's <laughs> terrible. But there's just something about like the graphics are good on this. Okay. Yeah, everything. Oh, no, there's something that when you hold this thing in your hand, it's like, do I need a tennis ball saver? No. But, like, the plastics are cool. The graphics are cool. The little touch of the tennis ball is so yeah, amazing to yeah. me. And, 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 and there's just something about, like, do we have things that are just like this anymore? No. And I don't know if we do. And I don't know if we ever will again. I mean, whatever. And, like, this, like, this little bolt here where it's like what this was. You'll smell it. Just be careful. Don't get it on you or whatever. But just take a big old pull off that. See that? It's old Avon, like musk. Yes. <laughs> smell it? Yeah. Yeah. Ugh. <laughs> but this was a thing for, you know, an Avon set of cologne. Well, this is designed by... Look at There's still, there's still stuff inside. Yeah. Ugh. And just... You know. <laughs> well, this is... This is... Um, Noel. Noel. Or Massimo Vignelli for Noel. Oh, okay. Yeah, like K N O L L. Yeah. Yeah. So those are rare, and they're like in the in the right MoMA. There's a bolt. There's a nut. There's a there's like three of them. I have two of them. One is kind of broken. You can see that it's, that yeah, it's a little yeah. screw, screw one. And there's another one with like a little hex nut or something. But nothing's uh, that playful anymore, is it? Yeah. No. I mean, that's the thing. It's like just that thing laying around. It is kind of wasteful. I mean, we get into the philosophy of it, but it's like, damn, they were but just... But it's still around. It's just kind of cool, man. I don't know. You know, <laughs> there's just something about that era where it's like, now, obviously, these are novelty things to be serious. There is just something about that era because, yes, granted, the things I pulled out and you guys took photos of, those are novelty items, but the really down-to-earth stuff, like up here in the Northwest, in the Pacific Northwest... When you go to the mountains, sometimes they have warnings. You have to put chains on your tires. And when you go into these, like, you know, tomorrow when we go state sailing, we go hit a couple of these things. When you go into these garages and you go dig, the chains did not change from 1974 to now. It's a chain. It attaches and it goes yeah. around your tire. The packaging and the box that just for something as dumb as tire chains for when you go into the mountains, it was beautiful. And they took the time to make those things look like camping and sporty and outdoory because it's meant to get you up into the mountains they just did it really it was just really impressive to me like they didn't have to that's the weird part mm. you can go get tire chains right now from the local home depot or whatever or whatever you're gonna go get it from some sporting goods store not even close to as cool as it could be what's the best logo ever made god i don't <laughs> know uh, well i don't know it's uh i saw this question you know of course i, I thought you know um if I had to answer something right off the old top of the head, I mean the the the, the Saul Bass Bell telephone yeah. is a classic because it's just the quality of just getting exactly to what it needs to be. Aren't you know? Weren't they lucky that the world was that undesigned to be able to just put a bell in a circle? You know? Yeah, it's like so, perfect. Yeah, whatever you know, just that bell is just so perfectly weighted and. What looks, see, the, the interesting part about that is why I love something like that is when you see that from a mile away across the American West on a telephone pole, you can fucking see it. Oh, that's a Bell product. Or that's a, these, are, these lines we're using 
you know, whatever that, that technology was from a Bell product or phone lines or something. It worked from a mile away. And then it looks really good when it's on the corner of your bill. Yeah. You know, and still. And I don't, I don't know if it's still out there, but it pressed well into plastic. And that's just something that comes to mind. I mean, there's so many, though. But, you know, certain paper companies with, like, the most, like, the perfect geometric 45, 45, 45, tree, international paper, whatever. You know, it's like, those are just the classics, the pillars of this stuff. And yet, they still work. They're yeah, still that's the thing. doing that's what the job. You want. Yeah. yeah, they're still used today to say the new international paper logo. Like if you go see that one, it's just like the IP kind of like tree thing. It comes from paper, comes from trees, you know, and it still works. It's still doing it, and that thing is like sixty years old or something. Amazing. But it's a modernist approach to geometry and how to reproduce and stuff, and you know, how to make it and how to reproduce it so it's clear and. I don't know if anyone appreciates that stuff, but you know, I've got all those books and all those yeah. things. And you know, the fun part is like, you know, there's a there's a you know, you guys can look this one up, but go look up Avery. And Avery was a Saul Bass logo. They're like paper clips. Okay. And, mm. you, you might you know it's like a, Avery stickers and Avery labels, is it all that? That's kind of it. Stuff? Yeah. That was done in seventy two or still something. The same it's still it just works. And it's like that's the thing. It's like three M. Three M products. Yeah. I know you have more of the stickies and shit. Yeah, sticky yeah absolutely. Well, I went to 3M. And when you're there, you kind of feel it. Like, wow, Minnesota. You know, it was minerals, mining, and something, blah, 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 whatever. You know, something else. And, you know, it's amazing. Like, that shit I use every day. And when you see that little thing down in the corner, it doesn't need to change. That's all it ever needs to be. Have you ever seen a bear? Yeah. Okay, can you Next tell us? Next question. <laughs> <laughs> yes, of course. Um, when I was up in Alaska. Well, let me tell you two quick answers. <laughs> first time I was up in Alaska I was uh, 20, 23 years old summer of 96 um, and we were on what they call a rail stop so the, we worked on the on the trains and the train would take off of Anchorage and go all the way up to Denali which is you know Mount McKinley up in the middle of Alaska and then it kept going a little bit farther to Fairbanks on this Alaska Railroad so we, we were cooking on the trains and et cetera. On your days off, they would offer this little rail stop. It was a self-propelled single car. You would jump. There were seats and stuff. You would jump on that because that thing was out self-propelled. It would just go up on, on its own. It would drop mail off to geologists or to like kind of miners and all sorts of shit at different little ports along the way. Like this is like that real outback kind of shit. You know, you're way out there in the, and they call the bush. So... We would take that thing, it would drop us off, and you're in the middle of nowhere in this, like, seriously, you're 50 and 60 miles from anything. And even on the rail, you're 40 miles away from something else. So if someone got hurt, there's no way to get out. Because you have to take rivers, there's no roads, maybe there's a road, a surveyor's road, who knows. You know where you're at, you're in the middle of nowhere. We're at this campsite, it's called Indian Creek, this beautiful bend in the river. There we are. Mountains, mountains, salmon spawning right there. It's just nature. That night, we go to crash, and uh, and my buddy says, let's go take a little walk, because this is the land of the midnight sun, so the sun doesn't go down until fucking 2.30 or something, just for a blip, and it's up at 4.30 or whatever. You can still read, like, in the light, at, you know, at the darkest of the night. And that's at this, you know, this is June, I don't know, 22nd, at the, it's near solstice. So we go out at like 12.30 at night. We go walking out. It's still light out. And we go walking down the rail for a while. We're bullshitting. It was one of the guys I used to cook. I was a dishwasher. He was a cook. And as we're walking back, now we're walking back to camp. And what the geometry of what you're doing is that when you're walking, the rail goes 
to this perfect perspective, you can see right on down that rail. Half a mile back is camp. And we see this little black thing walk out and stop on the on the rail and look tilting its head back, sniffing, because they have the, I don't think they have the best eyesight, but they can mm-hmm. smell for miles. So okay. I look at my buddy. He's an Athabascan Indian. So he is like, a, you know, one of the native, you know, his family is from up there. And I looked at him to like, what do we do? And he was white as a ghost, like looked at me in fear. And he was like, I don't know what to do. I said, you fucking, are you from up here? What do you mean you don't know what to do? It's not moving. We have to get around it. What do we walk through the woods? So we get down on the rails and we just lay down on the rails. And we're just watching this thing. And it just kind of. You know, we see a little drop. It shits on the rail, you know, and it just saunters back in. So here's the thing. We have to walk past where it went and get back to the deal. Now, it's a black bear. It wasn't a brown bear. It's a black bear. So what I had read in this thing called bear tails. It's up there. Alaskan bear tails. I read this little account where black bears will fuck with you. Because the brown bears, oh, they, they crush skulls and all sorts of shit. But you're kind of like a fly to swat. They know that you know you're not you're not a threat to them. Black bears, you're kind of their size sometimes, and they come they 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 take that as aggression, right? and they'll eat you and whatever else. So here, you know, I, I just read this thing. It's like the kind of book you buy when you're like checking out at the supermarket. It's like just like tourist pulp, you know. I bought it and I was a great little read. And I'm thinking about that. So fuck, what do we do? So there's rocks in between. So we pick up rocks and we start going click, 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 click. And that's not all that great of a story until we just get back to where like there's a pile of bear shit. So that means he's either in the woods right there watching us or sauntered off. We just looked at each other and we just fucking sprinted back to the camp. <laughs> because, you know, you're out in this place where like if you were to be attacked, you, you die out there. Yeah. It's you're just known mm-hmm. like at that time, that's when that Christopher McCandless shit was coming to light. You know, the guy into the wild and that whole yeah. bit. Yeah. That was, that's out there. That's another hundred miles up or something or whatever it was or hundred miles below, but that wasn't all that far from the rail. And he didn't even know that you know he could have walked out to this river or walked. He just, he just Alaska will eat you up. That's the first part. But I'll just say this much: <laughs> ten days ago when we were in the Catskills, Lee kept saying, 2,000 black bears alone in the Catskills. Two thousand black bears alone. Oh, we're not going to see a fucking bear. We are in the camp that night." Three of us are sitting outside of this little. They had a bit of. A, they had this guy come who does all this sort of like, um, sort of Indian meditative, um, chanting stuff. You know, they get like a mantra, or I don't know what you call it. They got a, three words and they say them over and over again, and it's like this sort of meditative, peaceful thing. And they kind of the beat gets higher, and it, but it's just this Dom Rami Dom Ram or whatever they're saying. Well, we're dumb Midwesterners, and we're not going to listen to this shit. You know, we're, 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 so we took a little break from the camp that we were at. We sat outside. We're sitting outside, and the, the guy that we're with, he says. You know, this is after the big school shooting. So we're all bummed and freaking out. And he says, you know, man, I send my kids to school. And now what they do is they have these school shooting things. And it just, he goes, it just broke my heart to have to, like, hear my kid who's six tell me we had a, we had a, a shooter drill today. He goes, but what they do is they mix it with wild animal drills. And then suddenly it kind of takes on a little bit less of a ominous quality because if a wild animal got into the school this is the same drill we do so to a six-year-old if it's something really dangerous or well a wild animal that's on the loose it's the same thing you know what i mean it's like a little Mm. bit 
nicer way to get them to to sort of whatever. And just as he said the wild animal thing, I said, wild animal drills, that, right, that makes sense because then it kind of, from here to that wall, <laughs> there's a black bear running on the perimeter of this little camp that we were on. And it stops, it looks at us, we all jump up and we start to walk fast back, you know, because you're going to like, you know, if it came after, you'd yeah, take off. Yeah. That fucker, his back was about this high. And if you, we're going to measure, you know, it's about four foot up. It was a big black bear. That was only 10 days ago in the Catskills. And I, what it was, it was just looking for food. And, I, you know, then we kind of sound the alarm. I go in there and I, there's a, you know, a couple of these guys are listening to this chant thing. And I go, you guys, if you're going to walk back to the, to the main lodge, be careful. We just saw a big goddamn black bear. I mean, he might be right out for all I know. Mm. I just walked right in here to tell you guys after he kind of scuttered off. Well, then you hear the camp counselors coming up. Out of here, bear. Get out of here, bear. You know, freaking out, scaring them back out of there. They come through every night. They're looking for food. They're, you know, they're barely, <laughs> well, you know. Anyway, how's that? That's amazing. We got one more. That's the last one. Is yeah. that me? Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, you can. Can art change the world? Wow. I think it can. You know, I, I think, you know, art shows up in not just, you know, painting and things, but there can be, you know, um, you know, art in the way uh, a transaction is figured out between two countries. You know, there's art there, just the, the way that that deal goes down. There can be listening last night to, you know, um, Dawkins talking about um, how, you know, as society uh, shifts and, you know, like the things that we will hold the closest are the artists, the people that can, you know, the idea of like technology starting to fuse with our actual physical form where you know elon musk it might have been i don't know maybe it's it's a conspiracy or maybe it's just bullshit but some way for like some little nano chip to react with the chemicals in your brain and then it, it like we become sort of techn these technical technological creatures or something and yet you know the things that come from the heart art poetry ideas um feelings that the the faster and faster things go we will turn to people who who you know can offer beauty in the things that we we can never change, which are like yeah you're gonna die, and but yet they were you know as a sort of a gnarly you know kind of fact based atheist that he is, he did slam philosophy pretty hard you know because it's like well it isn't it's not really fact based you know what I mean it's like it's this weird juggling. Anyway, it was just this interesting sort of comment on how artists, you know, will offer like almost like shamans. They will be these centers of culture to make the things that we will never be able to change sort of bearable or, you know, to to make art and music and things for like birth. We all are born, so there's stuff around that, and then, you know, we'll, we'll, those will be beacons for us. I don't know something about that. I don't know. Um, um, yeah. Thank you so cool. much. Cool. This yeah. has been so much God. fun. Pack it into something good. <sighs> I don't know whether we're getting out tonight. Thanks to Tomino for the theme music, our families for supporting us on this journey, and most importantly, you, the listeners, for tuning in and following our ventures with no ideas. Follow us on Instagram and like and subscribe on iTunes, and leave us a comment if you can, but only nice ones. Check out our website, noideaspodcast.co.uk, for the extra bits to accompany the shows. We'll be back next month with more ideas. Bye.